You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you all. Beautiful day. Okay, if you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 13, I'm just going to read a few verses. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on on its stand and gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. We're looking at um, a series for the whole this year about what does it mean to be a, a Jesus people, to inspire a Jesus movement in our culture. And we're rooted in the Gospels and we're looking really at how does Jesus do mission? How does he connect with those who are far from him. And in our current local church right now, we're seeing, seeing stunning stories. You just heard one of them of healing, freedom. Um, but I want to just share with you one that I particularly loved, and it's uh, really helpful to share an illustration of what I'm going to talk about this morning. And it's the story of Sue, who's a, an amazing person in our church. And um, it says this, Sue called to let us know she couldn't make it in to serve because she was very unwell and had been rushed to hospital. The following Monday, she called us first thing to share what had happened during her time in hospital. She said that she had been admitted and put in a small ward with three other patients. And as the youngest, she spent her time getting out of bed and helping to look after the other women in her room. During their time together, she shared about her life, her faith, and the church she calls home. After hearing about our church's heart for compassion, a couple of the women expressed how they would love to give financially and come to our church when they're better. One shared that she had been brought up as a Christian but had not been to church in a while, but now couldn't wait to be discharged so she could bring her entire family to church. Later, after already saying she would like to give a donation to church, she shared that she was the lottery winner. My prayers are working, church. (laughs) Although she was in the hospital and physically unwell, Sue made community in that wardroom, made new friends, and said, this has been the best week of my life. So what had been the worst week of my life been now the best week of my life. We've been in a place to make a difference to people. One lady was even crying when she left the hospital ward as she had helped and chatted with her so much. Gets better. Sue also said that she had spent many years trying to give up smoking to no avail and had prayed to the Lord to put her in a position so that she had no choice but to give up smoking. She had a cigarette before she went to hospital and then had no cravings or desire to smoke during her stay in hospital and has not smoked a single cigarette or vape since. She's giving thanks to the Lord for this miracle in her life and has shared this with family members. Isn't that an amazing story? (laughs) 
Sue is the salt of the earth. And in these words, Jesus never says, I hope. He never says, I wish. He never says, I long for you. But you are salt and light. To a people who actually thought they were excluded from God's mercy and love and to be used by him. And so here we have Jesus actually giving a mild rebuke, wrapped in a blanket of incredibly humbling affirmation to us as a people that we are soul and light in a dark and decaying world. So Jesus is wanting to say to us, whole vineyard, this morning, do you not realize who you are? Don't you realize what you carry? In other words, Jesus is saying this, you and I, we make the difference. Day in, day out, wherever we do life, wherever we find ourselves, we make the difference. Left to itself, the world is in utter darkness, and the only light is the local church. The world is naturally decaying, and we get to preserve and bring a cure to it. And so the question isn't what's wrong with the world or what's wrong with people outside of the faith. It's where are the Christians should be the question. Where are the Jesus people? We don't ever, ever curse the darkness. We just turn the light on. But call me naive. I can deal with that. I've been called much worse. But here's how I see it. The Bible is really clear that our world will continuously get in a mess. It's called the end times. But the church is here to season and to shine. That is our call, that is our honor. I was reflecting on that passage in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers this week, about how when they went to spy out the the land and they saw in their eyes giants And he says that in terms of their perception, they saw themselves as grasshoppers in comparison. I think the church often suffers for a grasshopper mentality. We've allowed the giants of culture to be bigger than the internal giant that we have because we have Jesus living on the inside of us. I remember growing up, my dad would always say to me, John, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And that was so much more powerful than telling me to do this or to do that. Remember who you are was so much more powerful. This week I was on a a train going to Leeds to a conference with uh, Josh and a, a few other pastors and a, a, a lady walked, she got on a bruff and uh, she walked over to us and one of the other pastors introduced us all uh, to her by her name. And as she walked off, Josh goes to the pastor who introduced us, um, is she with you? And uh, we all looked at Josh and he said, no, Josh, she's the Bishop of Hull. <laughs> anyway... I'm pleased to say the Bishop is going to be coming here to speak to us um, soon, so that's really exciting. We won't um, have Josh on duty that day. (laughs) Certainly not on the welcome team or the car park. I think we don't recognise 
in each other and indeed ourselves as how we should. And I think what has become foundational, and I hope this landing in our hearts as we're taking time over this, is that something so much more important than mission and structure and model and how we do things is actually who we are and our identity and how we think and how God views us and how we should view ourselves and how we should view other people is the most important thing. In fact, I would say that for any disciple trying to follow Jesus, there are three stages. There's confidence, experience, and competence. But what is foundational in those three things is confidence. And the one thing that will happen day in, day out is that the greatest script of our culture and other people who try and put us in verbal prisons, things, circumstances will try and knock our confidence day in, day out. And if we get our confidence knocked, then it doesn't allow us to have experience and so therefore we don't forge competence over the journey of our discipleship. So we will never ever go beyond where the level of our confidence is. Now I used to really battle with a lack of confidence. I remember when I was applying for my A-levels is I really wanted to do French. I love French, I, I did well at it. But I couldn't bring myself to, uh, to do French at A-level because of a lack of confidence. Uh, I'd get easily embarrassed when I spoke in front of people and struggled um, in that context. And so over the years, God helped develop confidence in me so that I'm able to do things like I do today. And one of the most important things that happened to me in learning about confidence is your greatest friend is actually an enemy. Your greatest friend is rejection. Because when somebody rejects you, when somebody doesn't agree with you, when somebody doesn't like maybe what you have to say, you then have a moment where you have to realize, does God's affirmation of me internally is that bigger than other people's confirmation or lack of it of my calling? And so for many people is that they will receive maybe encouragement, confirmation of things, affirmation from other people, but the moment that stops is their internal world collapses. I think one of the greatest gifts for us to develop confidence is people who say no is people who say, you know, I didn't like that or I don't like you. Because actually it brings about a place that, do you know what, if everybody else thinks like that, the one thing I know is what Jesus thinks about me. And that's going deeper. And our world, especially with social media and the Insta life where it fuels comparison, which robs people of their confidence, We look at people's lifestyles and we think they've got it really nice. And in comparison, I don't. Because they don't project reality. It's actually the image that they want people to see. And so we've got to, particularly with our young people, we've got to teach them that confidence comes at a level that is so much deeper than the superficiality of the world around us, uh, particularly from social media. And so, 
What is absolutely crucial for us as we follow Christ is know who we are and what we carry day in, day out, that we are salt and light. Now these terms, salt and light, these, are, these aren't gray terms, these aren't um, compromising terms, they are absolute, they are polemic, they are stark in your face. You know, you, you're in a dark room and someone puts a light on. It, it's not subtle, you're aware of that light. You know, I once, I love to cook and I once cooked a curry I spent a lot of time on and I put a lot of ingredients and spices in there and I tried it and it tasted of nothing. Had no flavor whatsoever and I'm like, you're kidding. This has taken ages, there's like a dozen spices gone into that curry but I realized I'd missed out salt. And what happened when I put the salt in is that it released the flavor of all those other spices. Our present our presence as salt and light in our culture is gonna be obvious. It's gonna be often in your face. It's gonna be stark. It's gonna be actually disruptive. I love, I love these verses in Acts 17 verse six. It says, not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they are here disturbing our city too. I think the whole Vineyard Church should be causing trouble all around Hull. We should be disturbing our city. This is what we do. A couple in our church um, last week made contact with me. They were struggling with a gang, about 20 young people who were tormenting them. They'd shot um, uh, bullets at their house using um, an air rifle. They'd torn up their garden, their beautiful rose bushes. They were saying horrendous things to them. And this was going on and on and on. So I prayed for wisdom. And at first I didn't think it was God's voice because he said, go and speak to them. So I'm like, that's not the Lord. Um, <laughs> But I always think when my wife tells me, that's kind of like confirmation that the Lord is speaking. So I took my wife with me and, <laughs> and so we approached these guys at this point, there's about a dozen of them and I felt like the Holy Spirit tell me to bless them. So this is like the very opposite of really what they deserve. But I felt like the Lord say bless them and give them money. So I did. I blessed them, I spoke positively about them, I was real with them, and then I got my wallet out and I gave them, it's actually some birthday money I've been saving, and I gave it to them. And you, it just melted their hearts, completely melted them. These are angry young people whose faces began to turn to smiles. And then we got a rapport and I was able to joke with them and there's been no problems since. Our presence is meant to be disruptive, but it may not be what you think is disruptive. I'm talking about blessing and loving our enemies and those that persecute us. And so we have these metaphors, salt and light, they're meant to be disruptive. So metaphor number one, salt. I don't know what you think about when you think about salt, maybe just some table salt that is in one of your kitchen cupboards. But in those days, this was a valued commodity. 
Roman soldiers often paid, were paid in soul. Hence the phrase, not worth their soul. It's a mark of friendship. It was covenantal. You had salt involved in, in the offerings, uh, seasoning for food. They were used for cleaning newborn infants. It was used as a fertilizer. And of course, they didn't have fridges or freezers in those days. So they used it for preservation. So many things that salt was used for. And I think we shouldn't get caught up in trying to discern what did exactly Jesus mean when he was saying this? It was like Jesus adopting the stance of like a chemistry teacher when he was saying this. Which of those things was he talking about? I think the multiple ways in which salt benefits the world is the point of the metaphor. Attempting what we'd call interpretive precision here is not wise. I think it's meant to sit nicely along the idea of light and that it's beneficial to illuminating darkness. So here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, look, do you realize who you are? You are a provocative, potent presence in our world. However salt means to you, you made the difference. That the change that you're desperate to see is by being the difference. And in that culture, you had a number of other groups of people who were trying to be salt and light, but in a different way and through different means. You had the Pharisees who thought, I need to stay in the salt shaker. It's all about being separate from the people around us through religion and through righteousness and legalism. The zealots were all about violence, taking things by force, being the difference through that. The Sadducees thought, hey, we can be salt and light via compromise. Let's water down Christ's commands and ways in order to connect with culture. Does that sound familiar to where we're at right today? Churches, liberal churches that are trying to water down the way of Christ in order to be relevant to the world are sadly shrinking and closed down. Why? Because the church is not meant to be like the world. What is the point in following Christ and going to a church that's just like everywhere else? <clears throat> the power is in the potency of being different. The way of Jesus is to be Soul. It's allowing the character, the personality, the authority of him onto us and we're to act and do the things he would do in our world. And when we live this stuff out, it brings a preservation in society. It brings out kingdom flavor and it brings a purity in our world. Jesus was and always will be. He's not after the size of things. He's after potency. In fact, Jesus often celebrated small things, the faith the size of a mustard seed. So it's small things, but it's all to do with the potency. Small things done with integrity make the difference. It's all about small faithfulness. I was thinking about imagining Nazi Germany 
the cost, but the impact of doing such a small thing as not to lift your arm up to do a Nazi salute. Something as small as that and the implications and the consequences of such a thing. What about parents? You're a parent here. You're talking to other parents at school and just the fact that you're a non-anxious presence instigates and creates a gospel conversation. You're on a Zoom call for work and you say something, maybe you crack a joke or say something and you think, you know what, I shouldn't have said that. You feel convicted. And at the end of the call, you say, hey, before we go, can I just stop everybody? And I just want to say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I said something I should not have said. It could be offering your seat on public transport. It could be seemingly the smallest of things. But we have an opportunity to be sold. Through your presence at work, at home, where things are falling apart, we're able to arrest that decay because of Jesus. You see, salt doesn't lose its saltiness. It has a stable compound in its sodium chloride. It only loses it when it's mixed with impurities. And that's where you become like flavorless salt. So salt loses saltiness by not always being pure by the presence of other minerals and it loses its distinctive flavor. So what does it mean to be salt in our cultural context, to be a disciple? I actually think it means purity of heart. I actually think it's an appeal to holiness. I actually think it's about living lives of faithful integrity and that brings the power into our world. The second metaphor is light. And if you were to look at John 8, verse 12, it says this, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now in, in John 8, it's the ninth day, early dawn, and they've been celebrating something called the Feast of booths or the Feast of Tabernacles for eight days. It's essentially a dramatization, a reenactment of their uh, Mount Everest in terms of the Jewish faith, which is um, the Exodus in the Old Testament. And so what happens is, rather than the candles being lit on this morning, is that Jesus stands up and declares and announces that I am the light of the world. Credible timing and drama. That light lit up the night sky. And Jesus is saying, I am not a light, but I am the light. I am the I am, I am God. Just as a pillar of fire guided you, I will guide you out of the bondage of the slavery of sin into the promised land of a relationship with God for eternity. Now what's amazing and again, should be incredibly humbling, but should do a lot for our confidence, is Jesus is now saying, you and I are the light of the world. You and I are the light of the world. In other words, you get to represent Jesus and his kingdom to the world now. And what I found is that what stops us being the light of the world, and it's 
referenced in, this, in the text that we read at the beginning is that the enemy just dishes out bowls to cover our light every single day. It's up to us whether we take the bowls and allow our light to be covered, but he just gives you an opportunity of a bowl and to cover that light. It may be a bowl to cover your Bible at work. It may be a bowl of containment. Just keep quiet. Don't speak up about that thing, that injustice that God is asking you to speak about. Don't share that prophecy with someone. There's another bowl. Everyone else is doing it. There's another bowl. Everyone else fiddles a little bit with their finances or on a form. There you go. It's another bowl. And through suggestion and temptation, the enemy constantly is trying to give his church bowls to cover the light of Christ that lives in us. Our light is here to reflect him. And similar to Saul, I think this is a call for us as a church back to holiness. And I don't know what you think when I say the word holiness. A lot of people in the church retreat and close their ears and like, I I don't want to hear it. A lot of people just hear, do good things, works. But it's actually really important that we grasp that holiness isn't a performance, it's a person. And his name is Jesus. Legalism is a terrible, terrible motivator. But people do crazy things for love. And when you've truly grasped the love of God in your heart and you love him back, the reality is is you value him and his opinion and his ways of doing things and his ways of thinking, his ways of speaking far much more than your own longings. When you're crazy in love, you do wild things. And when you love Jesus and you've been captivated by the love of Jesus, the reality is you just want to please him. That is the heart of holiness. It's that I want to be like Christ. I want to please him day in, day out. It is a work of the Holy Spirit conforming us to the likeness of Christ. And so you have here in salt and light, I think a foundational tension that we, the church, must grapple with in our cultural context. And it's this. We are called to be in the world, but not of it. Holiness isn't separation. Holiness is separation unto God for the sake of the world. Like Jesus entering into people's worlds. And there's a tension to this, and I think the dual images of salt and light are here to portray the two aspects of witness that are not easy to balance in our everyday life, which is this engagement and distinctiveness. Engagement and distinctiveness. And as salt, we engage with the world, but as light, we can't compromise and assimilate to the world. And Jesus models both images here. I just want to finish with a verse just for us to take away. And it's in Joel 2, verse 13. And it says this, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. 
Often as Christians, we focus on the external. We focus on garments. Looking a certain way as a follower of Christ. Speaking a certain way as a follower of Christ. And we tend to focus often on the superficial. But God wants our heart. He wants us to be changed from the inside out, not from the outside in. And to the idea of rending your heart is allowing that tearing and often that rupturing of our heart so that it comes to a place of like, I'm fully devoted to Jesus. I'm all in. Jesus understands the trajectory of discipleship. We as a church understand that all of us Certainly me, I could talk about me on a trajectory of discipleship, constantly failing forward, constantly making mistakes, constantly trying my best to follow Christ. But the most important thing, doesn't matter if you keep getting things wrong, is that you have a heart that's after God. That's what Jesus is after. He's after our hearts. And I want you to try and discover a newfound confidence today that as you leave here and you go to work or you go into your neighborhood, whatever you do, come Monday morning, is a confidence to be salt and to be light because you are salt and light comes from deep within. It comes from a posture of the heart of saying, Jesus, I'm going to believe what you have said about me. And I'm gonna allow the renewing of my mind, I'm gonna allow the transformation of my innermost being, and I'm gonna live from that deep place of confidence. Thank you for listening to the Hall Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.